Hello, Feisties. I'm Sarah Gross, CEO and founder of Feisty Media. And I'm here to tell you that our foundational strength training course, Strong, is on sale now through April 10th. If you're like me, you probably get a lot of crap in your Instagram or Facebook feed telling you how you should look or how you will feel if you look a certain way. As summer approaches, this only gets worse. We are told we should have a quote-unquote summer body, as if our bodies somehow morph into something completely different just because the weather changes. And frankly, over here at Feisty Media, we are totally sick of it. Because at Feisty, our vision is to build an empowering culture for active women. We want to shift our attention away from what our bodies look like and focus instead on what our bodies can do especially during the summer months when having the physical strength to do the activities we love is so important. The Strong Course is designed to take any woman, regardless of your starting point, through everything you need to know to level up your strength training journey. It includes a 16-week program to help you progress from wherever you are to lifting heavy or heavy-ish with dumbbells or a barbell. It also includes modules on the physiology of strength training for women, nutrition, how we keep ourselves injury-free, and more. I want every woman to be able to do the things that bring her joy and be strong enough to do them for life. Enrollment in this course is now open and you can sign up and learn more at womensperformance.com forward slash strong or check the show notes of this episode for the link. And for those of you who are among the 800 women who have already taken the Strong Course with one of our previous cohorts, congratulations on taking the plunge. And to the rest of you, see you in the course in April. Make this summer your strongest and best ever. Head over to womensperformance.com forward slash strong today. I want to welcome all of our new first timers and people who are not their first time at Kona, but just wanted to get some extra tips. Or uh, who, but- want, who want it to be their first time in Kona, like in 2026. Oh, oh, absolutely. Right, right. They're dreaming ahead. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so before we get started with our great guests, I just want to say, first off, this podcast is presented in partnership and collaboration with the VinFast Ironman World Championship. So be sure to tune in as the women take on Kailua Kona on October 14th. Now, as part of this series, we'll also have another webinar next week on Tuesday at the same time about women-specific heat and nutrition. And then I also want to make sure you all who will be in Kona uh, come to part two of our first-timers event, which will be a mixer on the Wednesday before race day. Now, don't worry. You don't have to be writing this all down. We will be sending out email reminders on all those events. I just want you to have it in your head that, you know, this is not your last time to ask a question. Now, This, if you're watching live on Feisty Facebook or Feisty YouTube, you can put comments and put questions, especially when we open it up for questions, like just type them in the comments and we'll see them. This will also be going out on the Feisty Triathlon podcast feed uh, tomorrow, Thursday. And so Sarah is here to kind of tell us uh, a little bit about, you know, why Feisty is all in on women's Kona this year. Or why everyone is all everyone in on women's Kona. Yeah. Kelly said to me earlier, she's like, and then you have 30 seconds to say why this is important. <laughs> like, 
okay. Um, but yeah, if you are watching now or you can't stay until later, just go to your podcast app and subscribe to the Feisty Triathlon podcast feed and you'll be able to listen to this tomorrow after our amazing editor, Carrie, is done with that. But anyway, thank you all for being here. Um, if you are, for those who are here, like maybe tell us where you're tuning in from. Um, that'd be really fun just to have, just to get a little chat started. Uh, just put that in the comments section on Facebook or YouTube. Um, so why is this important? It has been, Kelly, it has been an amazing year for women's sports, right? We've been talking about this for a long time. Like, I think it sort of started with the NCAA March Madness basketball tournament and the millions of people who watched that, the Tour de France Femme, um, the Women's World Cup uh, was like blew the numbers out of the the the, the volleyball game in Nebraska that had knew, yeah. you know who knew that millions of people in 2023 were suddenly going to start watching women's sports um so i think that's it's just like such an exciting time and we're starting to see like when we fund women's sports properly when we give women access to sports and they have um their own media attention um and their own platform that really women's sports are holding their own kind of across the board so that's super exciting and uh for me and i think for all of us here it's amazing to see also that our own sport and that our man have been able to also give women their own platform at the VinFast Ironman World Championship this year. Um, and I love this, that. This movement that's happening. Part of the wave, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, and I think that like, we know that like, it's so important for women to have a fair race out there. Um, which we do if we have our own day for the that's for the pro race as well as the age group race. Um, we also have more opportunity for more women to actually race at a world championship level um, and also to try to improve their performances and get out there and have a world championship worthy race. Um, and that's kind of why we're here. Right. Because right. we want to support all those 500 plus is the is the number I got. Um, maybe uh, I mean, a first timers. Yeah, there's 500, a record number of first timers this year, which is why we're all here for you guys. Uh, record number of women, obviously, overall and, of, and, and people making their first appearance in in Kona. So, yeah, exactly. And so we wanted to provide as much education and information as we can. And that is why we are here today for this amazing panel. Um, and Kelly is going to introduce the panelists now and bring them out. And she said 30 seconds. And I think I just talked for like two and a half minutes. But anyway, <laughs> um, um, anyway, we're totally here for this. And thank you all for being here. And um, I'm well, we'll going now. Yeah. 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 So we're going to focus today on first time, uh, first timers. So I'm going to bring out our panelists and we're going to kind of talk about common first time issues. And then we are going to open it up to questions. So have your questions ready. Um, and so let's go ahead and bring out our distinguished guests. Uh, I'm going to introduce them as they're coming out. We have race director, Diana Birch, who is the senior vice president of world championship events for Ironman, uh, knows more about this race than anyone. She also lives in Kona. Um, and we have Michelle Simmons, who is a local Hawaii-based coach for Team BSC. She's been in Kona as an athlete, as a coach, as a volunteer. And, um, and so, you know, she has a, a lot of different perspectives here. We have Cherie Gruenfeld, who has done Kona 23 times, 22 times? 22. 22 times, won her age group uh, in Kona 14 of those times, and is a USAT Hall of Fame inductee. She swears she's not doing it again, though, so we'll see. <laughs> and uh, and Sika Henry, who's the first Black female pro triathlete and did Kona as her first ever Ironman uh, back in 19, Sika? 2018, 2019? 
Um, and so I know she's going to bring a new 2018. So she's going to bring a, bring that perspective. Cause I think that's just not that common anymore. Kind of doing it as your, your first ever. And I know she, uh, she spent a lot of time wondering why, why she was out there on the Queen K. <laughs> yep. I think I knew I should have listened to my instincts. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, kind of ask some, each of you some questions. And uh, Diana, I wanted to start with you. because I know I'm sure our guests, they're triathletes. They've probably studied the course, studied the schedule, read everything out there. And I want to know, are there any like new things they should know about this year? Are there any things that like really stand out? Things you want to call out for, for our first timers? No, there, there's no changes in the course, but I would say, you know, read the athlete guide, read the things that, that, and I'm sure some of the things that somebody with Cherie's wisdom and her experience out on that course can share, but believe it, um, have had some friends that have been out there training and there has just been some crazy windy days out there. And so be prepared for that. And I think that you know, the beautiful thing about advice when people give it to you is it's free and you don't have to take it. Um, but it's it's definitely worth listening to what people have to say. And I feel like in any sport and anything we do, everybody's like, oh, this is the way you should do it. Well, listen to all that and then listen to your gut and your coach and, and do what's right for you out there. Uh, so what is your I'm going to go ahead and ask you, what is your free advice since you've you know, been doing this, gosh, almost 20 years now, right? You've seen a lot of athletes. What's kind of your biggest tip for the people who are on the island for the first time? I would say em embrace every moment that you have. You know, know you're here for swim, bike, run. You're here to compete in race day and, and what the world championship is. Um, but there is a huge week leading up to it. And where you can and where you have time, get involved. and then really embrace the culture that surrounds Kona and why it's so special. And we definitely have a gift to live here. And it's absolutely, there's something unique and special no matter where you train and where you race. But there's a reason that, you know, Kona has the, that it is a legend and that people talk about it and dream to get there. And I think one of the things that many people do is, especially when it's your first time, it's overwhelming and you're excited and there's so much in front of you. But if you can take a chance and stop and pause and look around and just cherish the fact that you made it to the start line of, of the Ironman World Championship and then try to embrace every aspect of it. Uh, I know. I know we, we have... I always make fun. So very type A triathletes, right? I know a lot of people have been like, there isn't an athlete guide out yet. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, when are they going to be able to read that, pour over that? You know, I have to tell you, it, it's been a challenge just with the changes, but it should be going out today. Okay. Um, and and I, we totally understand that. There's been a couple of hiccups, but hopefully they, they'll have bedtime reading and morning time reading wherever you are in the world. And uh, obviously, Diana lives in Hawaii, but Cherie, I mean, you're not in Hawaii, and yet you've succeeded at Kona so many times. And I know a big concern for people their first time is kind of how to adapt to that heat, that humidity, if you're not from there. Like, it's one thing if you can go and do, you know, a pro-level camp. But if you're showing up race week, what are your tips for how to deal with the heat, how to deal with the humidity, how to acclimate? Well, I have a little bit of an edge because I live in the desert. And <laughs> so at least I know about the heat, but not the humidity. Um, 
you know, uh, if they get their race week, there's not a lot of acclimation time. Sure. So uh, probably the best thing that I would tell you is be mentally prepared for it. These conditions are not like any conditions that you've raced in, which makes this Ironman very different than any other Ironman. And we can talk about the winds, you can talk mm-hmm. about the heat, you can talk about the humidity. And the the biggest thing is to expect it. Don't right. go out there thinking that it's going to be, a, if, if you wake up in the morning and you don't feel any wind and it's like 70 degrees, it's not going to be a gentle day. And you need to understand that. So if you go in with that understanding, I think that you will, you'll, you'll feel it, but you'll be able to handle it. It's a mind game. It's a mind game. It's a mind game. So, cause there's and, really no point and, in trying to acclimate at that point. Well, acclimate, no, but there is, and I mean, somebody else might tell you something different, but I think with a week, that's a little difficult to get a lot of acclimation, but also to understand that in these kind of conditions, you have got to have a drinking plan, a, mm-hmm. a nutrition plan, and you must stick with it. If you let yourself get distracted out there with the winds or whatever, and you stop drinking, your race is over and you don't want to do that. So understand that too. What do you do when you get, I mean, you just obviously you're used to heat, but when you get in you know, a week out or during race week, do you spend it all in air conditioning and then stay cool and refreshed? Or do you try and get some runs out and get sweaty and get it used to um, it? I, I have a plan and it's not to work very hard, but I do get out into it. And I would mm-hmm. expect, I would tell people to do that. But remember, there's you're not going to do be able to do any kind of easy run in Kona. You're, especially if you're not acclimated to that weather. You go out for a little two-mile run and you come home drenched and you feel tired. Uh, so just spend time in it, though. I'm not an advocate of putting on AC any time okay. that you're in Kona before the race. Um, well, that's good because most places don't seem to have it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, I mean, you've uh, coached a lot of athletes there. You've been there as a – I mean, you think you've been there like 100 times, right, as a spectator, a coach, an athlete – what do you tell your athletes about acclimating, dealing with that heat and humidity, you know, nailing that nutrition, like Shuri said? So my local athletes don't have to do a lot <laughs> of acclimation, right? Because like we live and train here, and so we know um, we know where our limits are. Um, athletes that are coming from the mainland, a couple of things. First of all, if you have access to a sauna or like some way to get yourself really hot, what Before. research shows is yeah, so this is before you arrive, like, right? Like, so you're not a pro, you can't come two or three weeks early. You do have access to a sauna at home. Um, or you can make like a heat chamber, you know, where you're riding your bike or whatever. The um, the protocol is 10 days in a row, exposing yourself to heat for 30 to 60 minutes, starting 16 days out for 10, day, or for 10 days. Right? So we're and about then, right now. And then, yeah, you would start today <laughs> and then go for 10 days and then not for the last six days. And the reason you would not do it in the last six days is because that's the time that you're trying to freshen up. You're trying to you know, increase your energy levels. You're trying to reduce your stress mm-hmm. levels. And so to Shree's point, you know, spending tons of time, like she's right. There's not easy running in Kona. Like if you go out and you're like, I'm just going to do an easy three mile run and you run like nine minute pace, even if that's slower than what it was at home, that is going to be a stress on your body. So just planning for that and understanding that, um, that 
all of our thresholds are lower in the heat than they are when it's cooler. So um, I would not recommend to mainland athletes that they try to push whatever percentage of FTP is like on their plan. If they were racing like Ironman Wisconsin, you know, you would lower that a little bit, maybe go by feel, watch your heart rate, see how you're doing. Um, again, to Cherie's point, the hydration part is critical. Okay. Um, I advise my athletes to like, I mean, this gets tricky because it's like your own personal plan or whatever, but avoiding plain water as much as possible, unless you're like taking electrolyte tabs or something on top of it. But a huge mistake I made the first time that I did Kona it was 2007. I didn't know as much as I know now. I learned a lot that year because I totally screwed it up. But I was out there on the bike just thinking, I need a drink, I need a drink, I need a drink. And I just like slammed so much fluid, mostly water. And it was a legitimate dangerous situation for me. <laughs> like it was, this is, you know, before we really knew about what hyponatremia was. Um, it's easy to do to yourself out there because you can drink that much plain water and uh, you're not helping yourself as you do. So like have your own bottles, take the Gatorade. I mean, you can supplement with some water, just don't go sure. overboard on the water. I see what you're saying. Cause it's easy to feel like you're sweating so much. And well, I mean, it's not like don't go overboard on the liquid. It's just making sure that you're getting enough electrolytes, sure. right? And so it's really possible, I think, in Kona more than anywhere else to really overdo it on plain water. Mm. Interesting. Now I'm like, now I'm like, maybe that was my problem. <laughs> I know the other, along with heat and humidity, the other question we've gotten a lot, and Sika, maybe you can speak to this some, is... Uh, having it be kind of your first non-wetsuit swim, your first ocean swim, or just not being able to get that practice. I don't think uh, where you're based, you get a lot of Pacific Ocean swim practice. No, everything was brand new for me. Um, I'd never done a full Ironman before. I was a competitive 70.3 racer though, just two weeks before it, I was going after my pro card at Ironman 70.3 Augusta. So I literally did Augusta and then two weeks later flew to Kona and I had completely emptied the tank in Augusta trying to get my pro card. And um, and I don't know if we're going to put this in the chat later, but the reason why Ironman, um, why Kona was my first Ironman was because I'm a Hoka athlete and they get, since they're a sponsor, they are gifted a slot. And Eric Gilsonen reached out to me and he said, you know, I know you've been through a lot this year. You had a horrible bike accident and we think it would be a cool story to cover. Why don't you make... Kona, your first full Ironman? And I said, absolutely not. I never wanted to even do a full Ironman, no less Kona. Uh, but of course, you know, you tell your friends and your coach and, you know, my dad, my dad's like, I want to go to Hawaii. You got to just do the Ironman. It, let's go to Hawaii. So that's how I ended up there. But yeah, I, I live near a bay. So there's mm -hmm. some open water swimming, but it was still unlike anything I've experienced. I will just say that no matter how many Ironmans, no matter how many races, internationally and done races everywhere there is nothing that compares to Kona um, how salty the water is mm -hmm. I I think a lot of people don't admit um, on their social media feeds they put their pretty pictures that they finished Kona for me I actually got blown off my bike on the Queen K about 40 miles into the race I was not used to wind like that at all so my advice would be to actually if you do get there in enough time actually go out there where it's the windiest so it's not a shock to you mm -hmm. um, and that was for me I didn't really know what to do when the wind hit or or, you know, how shallow my wheels should I have road and, and stuff like that. And 
um, even with the heat, trying not to walk between aid stations and deciding instead to walk at the aid stations where there's fluid and all the nutrition and stuff that you need because the longer you walk between them, the longer you're out there in the heat without everything that you need. So for me, Kona was my learning experience. It's not like I had all these races beforehand to prepare exactly for it. I was just kind of going with the day. To that point of writing out and seeing the course, that is something a lot of people have asked about. Should they, and um, and Cherie, Diana, maybe you can speak to this some, is should they go out and ride the course? Where can they get some practice in? Do they need to rent a car? Like, how does this work? And, and you know, is it safe? Like, I mean, I know it's safe. I'm asking you. But, like, is it safe to, to ride the course not on race day? Was that for me? Did yeah, you say? sure. Um, and Diana, yeah, I, know, uh, I know, you know, from an operational oh. standpoint, we want to make sure people know what to do. I would definitely get out on the course. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to ride long. If you're only there for a week, you don't want to ride long. It's very helpful if you have somebody that is with you. We try and drag our support along with us um, who can drive you to a point because you, sh you should see the hobby hill and you may not want to ride the whole thing and you don't want to ride out to it. So you want to drive out to the hobby hill and you can park there and then ride a part of it and you'll experience the winds there and that's where there is a, a long, steep grade. Um, so I would suggest that you try and get out there and ride that. There's also uh, people who have done this race a lot of times, everybody will tell you the toughest part of that bike course, believe it or not, is the, at least for regular people, I don't know about pros like Sika and the others, but um, is the last 35 miles when you come get back onto the Queen K Highway to town, you've done a lot of work mm -hmm. and you're ready to be off the bike and you got 35 miles and it's the longest 35 miles you'll ever ride. <laughs> and it can get, it's windier because the wind comes up in the after, you know, later in the day. So it's windier and you keep thinking, I'm not making the progress I need to make. So it's a mind game out there. Mm -hmm. I would, if, if you don't, you don't want to ride the whole 35 miles, if you don't have to get there in time to do that, just get on the bike and ride a piece of it so that you get a feel of, of what it's like. Um, but uh, the roads are, are perfectly safe out there. I mean, there's traffic, but the roads yeah. are certainly perfectly safe if you behave like a good biker should. Right. We're talking on the Queen K in the shoulder. The yeah. Yeah, and up to hobby. Yeah, but uh, definitely, if they don't get the chance to ride it, they should at least drive up to hobby mm -hmm. and experience. Just get out of the car and hope that they're on there. Not uh, one of those rare days where it's not terribly windy, so that they can at least see it first firsthand. I do. You're right that the ride back in. I think my coach told me if you get to the airport on your way back, and you only feel mostly terrible. You're doing great. <laughs> So. <laughs> right. right. It's funny she brought up the last 35 miles because that's when I decided in my head that I wasn't going to do the marathon and that I just needed to make it to the changing tent so I could lay down and be done with the day. But you, <laughs> you did the marathon. Yeah, I got back out there. But yeah, but that yeah. is a very tough point in the, the race. That's a great point. That's why mental strength is, is you, we'll talk about that later, but mm -hmm. uh, you got to be able to tell yourself, I can get through this. Mm -hmm. And Diana, logistically, like uh, Shiri just explained a lot of those good good answers about where to stop and where to drive. I know people are very concerned about kind of logistically, where can they ride? Where can they do a practice swim? From like Ironman perspective, you know, what are you guys telling them? So practice swims are right down where the, the swim start is. And mm -hmm. um, actually our information 
10th goes up a week from Friday, which is hard to believe and exciting. So, so that, that area, it's an, it's an open body of water and people, as you know, that, that whole area downtown in Kona and the pier just becomes electric. And it's, it's a very exciting place to be during race week. When it comes to the, the bike, don't ride your bike into Nelha, the Natural Energy Laboratory, Hawaii Authority. It's also called Host Park. You will run there um, on race day, but you know we're very lucky. It's a it's a private area, and we're very lucky that we can have the race in this area. So we actually ask during race time for you not to ride your bike in there. And then I think get out of town. You know, with the event coming to Kona, we add a tremendous amount of traffic to a very small town. So. I think it's wise to to drive out of town a bit, get past all of the intersections and all of the lights, especially if you're not familiar with the area, and get on your bike a little further out of town and then stay as far to the right as you possibly can. Don't ride in a, a big group. Don't ride side by side and just be smart. You know, I think that there's a lot to us embracing where we're at, but being smart as we're doing it and being safe um, as we ride. And I think that along the way, there's some areas to pull off, some different parks that you can pull off and park in. When I say park, it's going to look like lava, um, but there's definitely some places you can find to, to pull over. And like Cherie says, if you have somebody that can give you a ride out, um, that's great as well. Don't follow your athlete. Right. That, that also creates a huge problem for us in the community and, you know, being respectful that there is a community here and people are going to work and um, just trying to be the best guest that you can be in somebody else's home. I was about to say, I feel like we need to say, don't follow behind with a camera trying to get the Instagram yeah. shot out of the car. Don't ride backwards against traffic, supporting a runner. Cause there's a, you do see a lot of that kind of dangerous can, behavior. Can I say one quick thing? Sure. Oh, I'm sorry, Diana, no, I fine. wanted to tell him about this, the swim. Um, mm. Oh, yeah. You can practice anytime on your own, but I would highly recommend if they were there early to do, I think it's on Sunday this yep. year. Yep, Isn't it's it? on Sunday. So on yeah. Saturday, we have the Kona Town Fun Run. And then on Sunday, we have the Hawala Training Swim. And I would suggest if you're interested to sign up as soon as you can because it's close to selling out. And it's a really good opportunity, especially for someone that doesn't swim in the ocean all the time, that you're swimming right on the course. So when you finish that swim, you have just upped your confidence level. So it's a it's a must do. I think a big note too, I did sign up for the training swim just for fun. But a big note too, and we can talk about this some a little bit to fear, is that training swim is a mass start though, and it is a lot of people. And so, you know, if you're scared, if you do it and you're scared, like you just wait, wait, hang back, yeah. and let people go, yeah. that's fine. Because I another thing Actually, we hear not to cut you off there, but we're probably gonna change that. Oh, you're changing it now. Okay. Yeah, we're probably just because it's grown so much. Ah. Um, we probably won't do the mass start this year. Okay. That means so I was gonna tell people, like, don't get scared, but that's another thing we hear a lot. It's not quite, true. It's yeah. still overwhelming. It's kind of what should they do? And, and maybe Michelle, you can speak to this, like what you tell your athletes and, and you know, what should they do if they get out in that swim and they're out in the ocean? And it is a lot of people and it's a different vibe than a regular Ironman. Everyone's fast. Everyone wants to win. How do, so it's a lot harder to kind of, you know, remove yourself. What should they do if they kind of get scared or get overwhelmed or get stressed out out there? Well, first of all, that's a great question. The key is you want to be comfortable in the ocean 
as much as you possibly can before race day. And here's the thing, that ocean water, I will, I promise you, it is like the nicest ocean in the world. Like there's other ocean that's not that nice. So a lot of it is mental in your head and what you're telling yourself. And so if you're a pool swimmer and you are not used to the ocean, you're not used to the salt water and you're telling yourself like, oh my gosh, that ocean's really big and there might be big, scary animals out there. And, and like you're imagining, your, your thought train is going off where you're imagining worst case scenarios. Um, the chances of you panicking are significantly higher than if you are telling yourself, how cool is this? I get to swim in this incredible aquarium where commonly there's dolphins out there. I mean, if you look around, you're going to see fish. The water clarity is perfect. The temperature is perfect. So if you go into that swim, focusing on all those really good things and this incredible opportunity to swim in the nicest water in the world, then the, the, you're reducing your chances of panicking before you get in. The other thing is panic happens when we start to lose our breath, right? We start to hyperventilate. So if you do feel yourself, if you feel panic coming over you, like let's just say the race started and you feel panic coming over you, what you would want to do is you flip over on your back and you focus on your breath. And what you're trying to do is slow your breathing down. And so you're going to take longer exhales than inhale. So it's not, <laughs> that is going to increase your panic versus <sighs> that's how you get yourself out of the panic. Right. So the breath is the, what your breath is doing is it's communicating to your brain. I'm safe. And that is the, what will reduce the panic. But if you tell yourself that you're safe beforehand, the, the chances of that happening are less. And genuinely go out there every morning, like go out Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, even if it's for 20 minutes, you put yourself in there. And one thing that I, um, I, I put on every single athlete's base schedule either the Thursday or Friday before, whichever day like they prefer, is to go out into the ocean, swim out like five, 10 minutes, float around on your back, look around, take it all in and be like, I'm here. I made it here. This is so cool. And if you have some pleasant experiences out there in the ocean before race day, that you increase your chances of having a good experience hmm. on race day. And obviously, um, it's not the mass start it used to be. Diana, how many waves, like what are the biggest waves this year? Is it like a couple hundred people? Oh, that's a good question. It, pro it probably is. It's, it's not, and, and I don't have it. I apologize. But it, there will be waves that are over 200. Okay. But that's still less than, than uh, kind of a mess. I know Cherie remembers when it was everybody all at once, mass start. <laughs> and you know, yeah, I, remember, no. I was just visualizing what I used to do when the gun went off. And there were these big guys in front of you and big guys behind you. And it was chaotic. And I just used to tell myself with every stroke, this is what you've trained for. This is what you trained for. Right. And it and calmed think, me down. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think, Kelly, you make a really good point as well is, you know, no matter what wave you're in, you don't have to be in the front. It's go out there at your own pace because you remember from, from the pier as you enter the water, you have a stretch from when you enter the water to where you get to the start line. And I think that that's a really, I know for me when I raced, which was a long, long time ago, I actually started to swim when I was comfortable and Michelle makes some really good points. And I, I talked to myself all the way to the start line to tell myself that I was comfortable and that I'm doing what I did any other time I was out there swimming. But I didn't rush out there. I went out at my own pace. 
and and started and and I think you really have to do your own swim because there's just so much excitement in the air with you know island breeze and and the helicopters it's it's just a lot and it's so incredible and it's such a great feeling but I, I love the tips on how do I calm myself down because um, it's easy to get overly excited. Mm-hmm. You know, in the early days here, they used to, uh, the people that worked on the swim, Jan Ward and some of those, would have this this drawing. And they showed you how if you started over to the left and aimed for the third buoy, not the first one, not the second one, but the third buoy, you stay out of a lot of commotion. And so you have clear swimming and you may lose a few seconds but you've had clear swimming during that first part when you're getting yourself into your swim rhythm. And I did that for a lot of years in the beginning. It was really a good tip. That makes sense. Yeah. Obviously, like we kind of just mentioned, it is, you know, it's a world championship, right? This isn't a regular Ironman. Everyone's very fast. I know Diana, like you guys have done the math. I'm like, everyone's fast. Everyone comes out around the same time. Um, and maybe Sika, you can talk a little bit about, cause you're a very competitive athlete about how, did that feel different? How do you kind of navigate, like, instead of being, you know, in the front, you're surrounded by everyone else who's also fast in the world. How do you kind of deal with, like, those packs and those people and, and all that? Yeah, it was very unique in that way where when you do most races, you have, you know, the elite at the front. And then you have sometimes first timers, people on mountain bikes, and they're just trying to make the cutoff. But Kona isn't like that. The people that have made it there to that point are very, very fast and they know what they're doing. So in fact, I found myself looking at, okay, what's in people's nutrition bags and <laughs> even going through um, the turnaround on the bike, I thought everybody just, you know, stopped, got their foods, went to the side of the road and did what they need. But no, it was everybody was riding as they went and they grabbed their bag and stuff. So I would say everybody was really experienced. Um, so I felt like an amateur, like a total amateur again. Um, but it was pretty cool to be amongst mm-hmm. the best in the world, I felt like. Like, how lucky am I that I get to mm-hmm. be out here with so many people with incredible stories and stuff, and everybody has one. Um, so, yeah, no, I think if anything, I took more comfort in the fact mm-hmm. that everybody was just amazing and um yeah, just knew what they were doing. So I tried to feed off of that. Feed off that. And what did you tell you? We talked a little bit about the mental strength, you know, a lot of Ironman's mental strength. What did you end up, I know it was your first one and you learned, but what did you end up telling yourself that got you through it? Oh, I had to use every mantra (laughs) in the book, I think. Um, So at that 35 mile with 35 miles left on the bike, when I started thinking that I was going to drop out the race, that once I got to the 10, I wasn't going to go out and do the marathon. I actually saw uh, Roderick Sewell. He was the first double amputee. Um, He was on the push rim on the bike and he had this look of determination on his face. Like I'm going to finish this race. And when I saw that, I was like, all right, like he's doing this. This is amazing. Like I can keep pushing. So it was just looking at everybody else. I saw um, someone pushing, um, another person, I, I don't know what it's called in the, the stroller. And you just see all these unique, you know, people representing foundations, um, people who are 30, 40 years older than you out there. And so sometimes you can just take a minute to look around and realize, okay, everybody's struggling, everybody's having a hard time, but they're pushing through and, and that helped. And also, I'm sure most of you aren't going to be out there alone, you're there with family and people who have sacrificed a lot to be there with you. And for me, it was my dad, he took time off from work, he flew 
all the way out there with me and I knew he was waiting at the finish line for me. And um, so just kept thinking like, get, get to dad. And I didn't want to fly home two days later, like miserable DNFing and stuff. I was like, yo, I want to like celebrate and have wine and, you know, just enjoy it no matter what the time was that I finished in. So yeah, it's just all those little things. And then for me also, the fact that I had had that horrible accident earlier in the year, and I wasn't sure I'd ever be able to do any sports ever again in my life. Um, you know, I had just was recovering from surgery and stuff like that. And so I was out of commission for a while. So to be able to be an athlete again. And um, I was just very grateful to even be there, really, no matter how much I was suffering, at least I was able to do it. Sherry, what do you tell yourself? Now I'm curious while you're out there. <laughs> um, one of the, like you, you mentioned, you, you get things that you say to yourself. And um, one of the things that I say a lot during training and in racing is whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're always right. So I believe I can. Um, I believe too that that that's another way that people should get ready for this race if it's if it's their first one is to have go through this process, figure out what it is that pulls you out of a tough time. Mm -hmm. And I remember that one of the things that I've used in in the Kona in uh, the marathon many times is when you're coming home and coming back on the highway and it's dark because I'm old and so I'm in the dark. And, it also uh, gets dark at like 5 p.m. there, it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. And um, so I, and I tell myself, there's no place else that I would rather be than right here doing this. And then that's not what brings me out of it. Then I get this little thought, yes, there it is. I would rather be at finish line <laughs> and with that I always get a little bit of smile on my face and it pulls me right up and I go oh. and I use that year after year after year interesting we're going to open it up to questions in a second but um so if you guys have questions put them in the comments on Facebook or on YouTube wherever you're watching but while they kind of do that uh Michelle and Diana as our local people a big big question I know this was one for me when I got there and it's when you held up it's kind of the logistics like it just feels overwhelming you hear all these stories about like traffic's terrible, all the grocery stores are empty, where there's no, right? So what do people need to know about where to park, where to get food, where they should like go, you know, how do they manage all of that? You know, I think that, that some of it, obviously we're a small town, we've definitely grown. At one time, you know, some of those stories are probably carrying over from when there was sack and save in KTA you know, SAC and Save and KTA are bigger. We've got a Safeway. Um, there, there are definite, definitely options. Parking is a real challenge in, mm -hmm. in town. There's, there's no denying that. Um, on race day, we'll actually have shuttles. Um, and there, there is parking on the outskirts of town, but it can be challenging. In general, I think some of those stories get blown up. But last year, they were probably really, really accurate. And, you know, we're going from having over 5,700 athletes that show up in Kona last over two year. days of racing to, to one day. And our athletes are right around, we're expecting right around 2,200. So it'll definitely feel a little bit different that way. Your, your main grocery stores are up Palani. Um, you can actually, they're all right together. And 
you know, there's a Longs, there's a Target. So, mm -hmm. so shopping isn't as difficult as the stories may, may be out there. And, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of restaurants as well. And we actually kind of get feedback every year that the restaurants are actually slower during Ironman than they are different times of the year and gathering because maybe most of the athletes are going to the grocery store to buy, to cook, if they're staying in, you know, condos or, you know, hotels that have a suite. But I think some of it, and it is, it's busier. we got a two-lane highway for most of the road. So if you want to get around, you're, you're going to face traffic. And again, just, you know, be patient. We're, you know, the reality is, is the event is creating those, those challenges. Sure. And I, and I obviously also like, be careful traffic. There is always traffic on Ali'i. It don't like there's yes. only two roads or it's only two lanes, people running, people biking, like just be patient. Don't hit anyone. That's always my fear. So. No, you know, you make a good point about Ali'i drive, Kelly. It, it definitely gets really congested and people want to run on it because that's mm -hmm. where the run course is. It, the ocean's there. It's beautiful. And I'm sure Michelle has some, some tricks, especially she's a coach here. She's training, I'm sure a, a tremendous amount of athletes. I'd, I'd love to hear what she has to offer. Yeah. So, do you have any secret, secret tips, Michelle? For like specifically, what is the question? <laughs> the logistics. So like managing the oh, code. Right. Like, and you don't need to tell us your secret parking spot that you're like going to hold. No, I won't tell you my secret parking spot, but um, yeah, cause there's like one. And um, no, I always try to get a place where I can like walk down and I'm like, I'm just not dealing with parking. So I book a year out and pay whatever I need to pay so that I can be close and walk and not deal with the parking situation. Sure. Um, the, uh, I was there last year, uh, not racing, um, watching and coaching, and I expected it to be an absolute zoo, right? I was like, oh man, this is just gonna, I can't even, and, and so I just like put my patient hat on and I couldn't believe it. I mean, to Thana's point, I never waited at a restaurant any night ever. I mean, I was just like, what? like there's so many empty tables in here. So it really was easy. I will point out, um, uh, Island Naturals is a grocery store that a triathletes probably want to go to because it's like the um, health food store or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and that store has gotten bigger and improved in the last couple of years. So um, that one, that's where I shop. Oh, <laughs> is wow, Island okay. Naturals. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we do have a couple of questions. Uh, people want to know, you know, so I guess I just joked they get dark at five, but you know, when does like, do they have to worry about the dark when they're finishing? Will there be enough light out there? Cause it is, you know, it is Hawaii. It's pretty dark. Do they need to bring um, headlamps? Kind of, how does that work? You know, well, I mean, it, oh. <laughs> go, no, go ahead, Sheree. From, from an athlete's perspective, I, I want to hear what you did. Oh, <laughs> well, I hate to be the old one that always finished in the dark. So, but that's what it is. Um, she asked the athlete asked, should I bring a headlamp? And yeah. Answer, like when do they need yes, to worry about it? You know, absolutely. But it is far better Diana than it used to be. Uh, there's more light out there than there used to be. But if you are out there after the sun goes down, it gets in between the aid stations and, and then there are spots where they have, like in the energy lab, there are spots or NEL, whatever it's called now, um, there are spots where it's very dark and the road is a little rough. And for years, I just did it without a headlamp. And then one year I thought, why am I doing this? I can't run my a good relaxed pace because I'm scared of what's on the ground. That you can get these tiny light little headlamps that you stick them in your tra transition bag, stick them on your visor or the cap you're gonna wear on the run. 
you put it on when the daylight, you don't feel them, you don't see nothing. And then when it gets dark, you just reach up there, press a little button and voila, you got light where you're running. They give you light sticks, but those don't light the road for you. Those should keep you from hitting somebody else or somebody else running into you. So yes, uh, this person that asked, should I wear a headlamp? Absolutely, I would. And I was joking. Sheree keeps saying she's slow and old and stuff. I also finished in the dark, and I actually (laughs) had no idea it got dark like that out there. Of course, I've watched the NBC broadcast and they show the finishers and stuff, but you see it lit up on a lead drive and then finishing, but you don't necessarily see how dark it gets out there um, up on the Queen K. And I had no idea that it got that dark, but I did see. the lamps that were lit up and the aid stations are lit up. So I knew, okay, that's the next one. I just need to follow the path and the people in front of me. So it's not so pitch black that you're, you can't see anything. You're going to, you know, fall on your face. If there's no light there, there, there's definitely light. But had I known, I would have done what Sheree just suggested and, and have a headlamp. And on the turnaround, um, it is actually pretty cool how dark it is because the finish line area, you can see it lit up from so far away. And that was exciting to me. I knew, okay, I'm getting towards that. But yeah, it does get really dark out there. And I was joking about 5 p.m. I feel like no, I need to say yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's a little early, but it does get dark early. And I want to say, you know, like sunset's probably going to be around, Might be it might be before six o'clock yeah. where it starts to get dusk. Um, I think Cherie's got a great, great tip. It's hard with lighting because we've done it years where we put more light out there and we actually got more feedback from the athletes that it was blinding Mm, because they're like looking into the light for so long. And so it, I think the other thing about it, it's dark and then sometimes it can be really lonely out there. It's a long stretch of road and, um, some of those some of those tips Cherie, that you have about just just the mental strength that it takes and michelle you know talking about how to calm yourself getting through i think that the the late night hours on the highway is something to be prepared for for sure and i just like have i have one point that i want to make here too because i think i've heard from some athletes they're like I want to finish before the dark because I don't want to hold one of those glow sticks, right? And so like they're in their mind, they've put like, oh, like it's a glow stick of shame or something like that. And like I, my first one, I had a very different perspective on that. I was like, are you kidding? I get to be one of those athletes. I mean, I watch Kona on TV so many times, right? And like this coverage and like you see these athletes like trudging along in the dark with their glow sticks. And I'm like, I get to like be one of those. (laughs) And so like, again, it is how you perceive it and how you look at it. And you're like, I get to have this glow stick and I get to be one of those athletes that, you know, is making this so iconic. That's one of the images like Mm -hmm. of the Hawaii Ironman is athletes, you know, cruising along the Queen K in the dark with their glow stick. And if you get to be one of those, that's how you look at it. Like I'm contributing to the history of this event. This is cool. And the same thing with the wind up at Javi. If it's super windy up there, I mean, you have two ways to look at that. You can go, oh my gosh, this is so scary. This is so horrible. And guess what? It's going to be worse for you because you get really tense. If it's really windy up there and you're like, I get to experience these like legendary winds of Javi that I've heard all about. And now I know what that is because I got to do it. And so if you approach it with that mindset, your experience of those challenges will be very different. You know, that's absolutely right. And that's for the entire day from start to finish. It's all about looking at the good part of it. You know, you 
when you go into the swim, you have your swim, whether you came out with the fastest swim you've ever had or whether you have a terrible swim, the minute you get out, put it behind you. You can't do anything about it. Move on to the bike. When the winds hit, you just look at it like, there they are. There they are. It's not a surprise. There they are. And that's how you manage your day from start to finish. And with a light stick, another way to look at that, and this is a way that I did when I was wearing them, is I would wear out there so people could see me. And the minute I turned onto Elite Drive, which is where your life changes because suddenly there's light and sound and music and little kids running around, <laughs> I would rip it off and find me a cute little kid that was running along beside me to give it to him. And that told me, I'm home. I'm home. That's my light stick. We, yeah. uh, we obviously talked a bunch about the dark here. And so we, um, we have a couple of questions on uh, how to acclimate to acclimate, how to adapt to the time zone change. Um, I mean, even coming, I'm coming from California and it still feels funny because it's, does does get dark earlier because you guys don't do daylight savings um because it does get dark earlier everyone does operate earlier like it just feels like everyone's on an earlier time and so if they're coming from far away which most people are how do they adapt to you know the hawaii time zone in just in just that week i'm gonna go with uh i realized i didn't ask anybody that question i'm gonna go with michelle what are your tips for that <laughs> so here's the thing and i so i live in hawaii and so i've you know when i traveled to the mainland and then i traveled back it is infinitely easier to adjust to a time change when you're traveling west. Mm -hmm. So if you're coming from the mainland and you're going to Hawaii, it's so much easier. You will have a much harder time adjusting back to the time change um, when you're going home, right? So just, um, I mean, really the main thing is getting your circadian rhythm back on track and the orchestrator of that is the sun. And so if you, when you wake up in the morning, if you go out, you expose your, your eyes and your to the sunlight that will help set your circadian rhythm and help you go to sleep on time. So that's my number one tip is, is like when you get there, put yourself out in the sun, not midday, first thing in the morning, watch the sun set. Um, and that will help a lot. I, I came from the East Coast, Virginia. Um, so for me, it was actually wonderful. Like at 5, 6 a.m. for the right race day, I stay, stayed on my East Coast schedule. And so it was like 10, 11 p.m. or sorry, 10 a.m., 11 a.m. at home. So I was just wide awake and ready to go. I think it's a lot easier yeah, going from East Coast to West Coast. I had a harder time adjusting going back home after. I also just feel like everyone operates earlier in Hawaii. We're all just like, sure, we all wake up at 5 a.m. That yeah. seems reasonable. Yeah. Well, and I naturally woke up at that hour because I, you know, it felt like 10 a.m. at home. <laughs> Uh, Sika, we have had a couple of people here ask about the strong winds. And, and since you kind of said you got so freaked out uh, about them when you were out there, what did you do? How do you deal with these winds? Um, you know, is it better to be in the aero position, not in it? What did you find? And then we can kind of. Oh, I tried everything. Well, I actually got blown over. So, so about stopped. 40 miles in, yeah, I lost my bottles. <laughs> like I flipped in the air, everything. It was crazy. It was like I was in aero one minute, fine. It's, it's difficult because it's gusts. Um, sometimes it'll be calm and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, there'll be a strong wind. So you're not necessarily prepared for it. Um, what I did learn while I was out there and watching people, they sort of leaned into the wind and, and I tried to do that. Um, I thought if I slowed down or something, maybe that would help, but it's actually better to just like keep your cadence going and everything like that. Um, it had, I, if I could reverse time, I used V6. So I used kind of deep 
dish wheels, I would have gone much lighter. I don't think you need anything, um, especially on the front wheel. I would have probably changed that as well. You don't need anything that deep. I mean, sure, if you're somewhere racing an Ironman that is not that windy, you can, you know, you can't use a disc wheel in Kona and it's for a reason. Um, so little things like that, I would have, I would have changed, but yeah, I don't know. I found it really, really difficult. The, the thing that I had recommended earlier was actually going out there. I think had I experienced it first, even if it was just 10 miles or a few minutes out there, I would have been better prepared. But because I had never experienced anything like that, it was just like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Sherry, how do you navigate these winds? You know, should yeah. people stay in aero? Should they keep their cadence up? I like There is this temptation to stop pedaling, but you like kind of shouldn't. Well, I have a couple of things that, that I think are important. Um, one is, as far as the aero bars go, do not feel compelled to stay in the aero bars if you're not comfortable. Um, because there are times when you just feel like you need to be hanging on to, to the bike. So if you, but whether you're in your aero bars or whether you're not, try and make sure that you're putting as much weight forward on your front wheel as you possibly can. You know, you're not trying to unbalance, you know, make the, make it completely unbalanced, but make sure that the weight is there because if the wind hits you, um, you're going to have a little more pushback. Another really important thing is to be relaxed in your upper body, which is hard to do when you've got these blasting winds. And, and like you said, Sika, there's, there's gusts, you know, you're going along and you think you got this under control and then there's this big gust that comes. But if you stay relaxed, it's like trees bending in the wind. The wind hits you and you give a little and it just moves you just a tiny bit. If you're all tensed up, you're like a piece of wood and the wind hits you and it knocks you and it sends you over further. So just try and stay as relaxed as possible. And then the third hint has nothing specifically to do with the wind, but the thing that happens a lot of times on really bad windy days is people stop drinking mm -hmm. because they're afraid to take a hand off and get their bottle. And I have, I, I've never had, I've never done it, but I've always made the commitment to myself that if it was too bad for me to take my hand and get my bottle, I, I would stop, put feet down and drink because take losing a second or two there is better than what you're going to lose if you don't, drink as much as you should while you're fighting the winds. That makes sense. And obviously the swim uh, equivalent is kind of the current and, and, you know, some people have some questions and concerns about the current too. And I, I don't remember being super, super strong, but maybe, uh, maybe Michelle, you have had different experience with your athletes. Yeah. I, and I personally swam. So like, I, I'm very experienced in the ocean. I would do swim races in the ocean all the time. Um, and I've swam that, in Kona many times and usually so what I tell my athletes is this first and foremost the ocean is like a box of chocolates you never know what you're gonna get right that said the last couple years when I've gone there and I've like in practice swims I've done you know I'll swim the whole course uh, you know a couple days before and on the way out there tends to be a tail current in the morning and then on the way back, there tends to be a head crank. And I know that because it's like, oh, I'm swimming really easy, but I'm going pretty fast according to my Garmin. And then like, I'll work harder coming back and be like, oh, it's actually slower. Um, and so what I'll tell my athletes, and this is, a, this is a really good tip for ocean swimming in currents, is that when you have a tail current, it's pretty easy to stay with the pack. You do not have to overwork. 
And so your really best case scenario, if there is a tail current on the way out, look, take it as an opportunity to let yourself have an easy start to the race, right? Where you're not spiking your heart rate and spiking your adrenaline in the first five minutes, like let the current take you out. And again, it's not a super strong current, but it's been there in the past. Then you like go around a boat and as you're coming back, that's where like the way that we in Hawaii, like ocean swimmers, we'll call it sticky. Like the water just gets a little sticky. Like it's just harder to move through at the same um, pace. But that's where it's like, if you kind of cruise down your way out, you can turn around and that's where like get gritty, you know, start pulling harder, knowing that it's going to be a little bit harder coming back in. So save your energy for that. So, I mean, I will go out there. I mean, if anybody wants to like find me on Instagram, I'll be there the couple of days before I'll have my Garmin and I will swim the course and I will know if it's like, yeah, this is how it's been the same couple of years, like where it's a tail current on the way out, head current on the way back, um, contact me. I will let you know. <laughs> uh, we're going to wrap up in a second, but I want everyone before we wrap up to share your like one secret tip, right? Like mine is the, the pokey at the Foodland Deli is the best, cheapest pokey on the island. What is your like thing that you just want people to know that this is your your secret tip? Cherie's like rubbing her head. She's like, oh man, this is tough. <laughs> oh no. Um, I'll tell you what my tip is, particularly for this year, is this group of women are uh, writing a new chapter in the Iron Man history. And Iron Man has a storied history. And so this is such a great opportunity. Um, and so I would just tell them that I, this is the best that it gets, no matter how tough the conditions are, this is the best that it gets. When you cross that finish line, before you cross that finish line, when just before you hit Ali'i Drive, take just a moment to think about the enormity of what you're doing and the part in history that you're playing and the people that helped get you here and the fact that you can do this thing we get skewed because everybody around us is an Iron Man, but we are part of such a small group of people on this planet that can do this and enjoy that, regardless of what kind of race you've had, whether it was a disappointment or not. You should never be disappointed with the accomplishment of crossing that finish line. That's my tip. That's a good tip. Um, Sika, we're going to go around and everyone's going to share their tips. So what's your, it doesn't have to be as deep. It can also just be like, here's my secret parking spot. Um, <laughs> I guess no matter what, just keep moving forward and don't give up because you never know what's going to happen. One of my favorite quotes is always believe something wonderful is about to happen. So even if you get out the water and like, oh, it's the worst one I ever had, or, you know, you're, you had a mechanical on the bike or, or something like that. Um, it's such an incredible feeling when you do finally cross the finish line, no matter how the day went. Um, and I think that's why so many people keep coming back to this race, even if they had a really bad Kona experience or they didn't finish at the time they wanted or whatever, like everybody wants to get back to Kona. And I will say, whenever I tell people that um, I do, like I'm a triathlete, they don't care if you've won one, won a race, if you get your pro card, nothing. The first thing they always ask is, did you do Kona? That's all they care about. So, the Hawaii, for, yeah. <laughs> so for that very reason alone, like be so grateful that you get to go there and finish so that you can say, yes, I did do Kona. Cause that's the number one question I always get asked. Michelle, what is, what is your tip for everybody? Okay. So I've watched this race a lot of times when you are on the bike, in the beginning climbing up Polani hill so like there's this like hot corner and you go like down and you go up again and then you can come down and 
climbing up Polani, you're going to have like just hordes of people cheering for you with cowbells and all this. And I'm watching and there's some people who are like standing up and they feel so good and they're like ripping it at 300 watts, like pushing up the hill. And I'm like, oh, she's going to be walking later. Actually, usually it's he's going to be walking later because I feel like <laughs> women tend to be smarter about that than, than some of the men. But literally, it's like when I see a woman sitting down, spinning, controlling herself, controlling her breathing, not going crazy up that hill, that is a potential energy waster right there on that hill. Um, yeah, so sit and spin up Polani. That's my tip. That's your tip. All right, that's a good tip. Yeah. Good. And Diana, we'll finish with you know, I mean, you've you've seen this race many, many times. What is your tip for everybody? You know, all of those are really great tips. Agree with them all. But um, I, I think one of the things, because you talk about the hype and and that dream to get to Kona, and people work so hard, and some people year after year to to cross that finish line on Lee Drive. And there's no guarantees how your race is going to go. You have probably done all the training and everything right. And then you just don't know what the currents are going to be, what the winds are going to be like, and what your day is going to be like. And over the years of being in the position that I'm in, I remember it took a long time for me to find where's that magic moment, you know, from, from the side that we're on. And I kept thinking, oh, it's going to be this. It's going to be at the start of the race. It's going to be this moment. You know, it's like there's going to be rainbows and unicorns. And I think that the biggest thing to remember, it's not just about that finish line moment or the race day itself. It's everything that you learn on the journey that gets you to the start and that gets you to the finish. And so I really think that you got to embrace the entire journey because what your expectations are for that day may actually be different. So don't lose sight of the journey that you're on that's getting you to the start line, getting you to the finish line, because there's some magic just in that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the journey, too. So, you know, you can see the see the whole end in sight. Well, thank you, everyone. I'm going to ask our panelists to stay on because we have a 20-second delay. But I want to thank everybody for coming and for the questions. This will be up on the Feisty Triathlon podcast feed tomorrow. Um, so if you missed any of it and we will be back next week on Tuesday with, uh, heat and nutrition advice. And then in Kona, you'll all be getting an invite to come to our first timers mixer and kind of, you know, ask each other your questions. And of course, follow women for try for more inspiration and information on training and racing Ironman and Ironman 70.3 events. Thank you. everybody.